This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. All right, all right. Go ahead and grab a seat. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you all today. Uh, If we haven't met yet, if you're brand new joining us for the first time, my name is Kevin. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life, and I only get to be here for a few minutes because I'm going to welcome a friend to stage in just a second. And you might be wondering, what am I doing way back here? Um, Our lights broke up there. So we're going to be hanging out back here for now. So uh, just get ready. It's going to be an absolutely incredible day. Hey, you're going to want to do a few things just to get yourself ready for all that God wants to do uh, in you and through us this morning. And they're both inside your program. You're going to want to grab that card that says start here. Go ahead and get that uh, filled out. Get that ready. Uh, This is just a connection card. It helps us stay connected to you, helps you stay connected to us, uh, helps us serve you in a variety of ways. And so we'll be using this a little bit later. So go ahead and get that ready. You're also going to want your teaching notes. They're inside your program. They'll give you uh, the Bible verses we're looking at, some fill in the blanks and some next steps for us together as a community. And as your lead pastor and as your friend, I just want to talk about two things briefly uh, before I welcome my friend to stage. And the first is this. Uh, I know that it has been a, an emotional week for pretty much everybody here. Uh, as we look at our country and the political next steps that we have, and I want to say a couple things. One, Tuesday night, I decided I am not looking at Facebook. I just decided I wouldn't do it. That lasted until about 9.30. Uh, I just, it was like, it was like I had to know what was being said on Facebook. Am I the only one? Were you on Facebook as well? Raise your hand. I know you were because I saw you. Okay. Um, so here's something I want to say. I was so proud of our church community for the way that if the election was going the way that we wanted it to, there was no gloating. There was simply a quiet humility in the journey. If the election was not going the way that you wanted it to, Uh, While there was some lament and some grief, there was no vitriol, there was no blaming, there was no finger pointing, and I would say that our church community was unique in most of social media in that. So I want to say thank you, church, for the way you responded. Well done. Well done. Uh, And the second thing I want to say is that I'm reminded of this same reality every presidential cycle, which is simply this, that God is in control that God ultimately is the place where we place our hope. And uh, eight years ago, you might have fallen on the other side of the election cycle. Now you might be falling here with questions and concerns and genuine grief and wondering. And here's all I would say in the midst of that, that God is ultimately in control. And I don't say that tritely. He is our hope. And now what we get to do uh, for this next season of our country's history is simply do this. Look for ways to trust God, to trust God, and look for ways to love our neighbor as ourselves. I mean, isn't that what we've been talking about in this whole series is what does it look like to love God enough that it plays out in the way I love my neighbor, even my neighbor who I disagree with? What does it look like to speak for those who don't have a voice? What does it look like to serve those who might be feeling vulnerable right now on either side of the aisle? And so I just want to encourage us, church, that uh, our hope, our trust is in a good, good father, is in a powerful God who we can ultimately trust regardless of where the politics land. And so I just want to say that to you um, because I've really been thinking about our community this week and grieving with those of us who are grieving um, and uh, joining with those of us who are, who are excited and hopeful and really trying to figure out what does it look like to be your pastor and a Jesus follower in the process of a tumultuous season. So thank you for that. And let's continue to, let's continue to keep the conversations open uh, on this journey together as we love God and we love our neighbor as ourself. And the second thing I want to say is this. Uh, we are in our series, I Believe in God, But. And this series has, interestingly, created a lot of conversation. 
Uh, who knew? Who knew? Um, here's what we said the first week. There is an essential to our faith. It is this, that Jesus lived, died, rose again, and that Jesus said he is the only way to God. He created a unique way for us to come and be forgiven and know God our Heavenly Father. That is the essential of our faith. With that as the essential, we have the freedom to ask questions without questioning God. And so that's what we're doing in this series. We're asking questions without ultimately questioning God, because we know that God is who he says he is in Jesus, and it gives us the freedom to say, I believe in God, but what about this thing? But what about that thing? Next week we'll be saying, I believe in God, but what about the places where God promotes slavery in the Bible? What do we do with that information? And we can ask that question without ultimately questioning God, because we believe in the essential of our faith. That being said, I am so thankful for our teaching team. They have taken the challenge to, um, to giving us options where the Bible is not ultimately landing one way. They are taking the challenge to, I almost said it again, dig into our, but I didn't, but I didn't, thank goodness, because last week someone actually gave me a present. I'm so thankful. You, church, you're so, you're so good to me. They gave me a present wrapped up in everything, and, um, and I opened it up, and it was a thing of toilet paper. I thought, well, that's an odd gift for a pastor, uh, and it said in the card, for all the butts you're going to dig into, that was there, and I thought, I thought, I love our church. Who does that? Who gives their pastor toilet paper? I love our church. I have a feeling I know who it was, and I think you're in here somewhere, but uh, I can't say for certain uh, if it was the person who I think it was, but I thought that was hilarious. That being said, today, Pastor Jake is going to speak. Don't cheer yet. Pastor Jake is going to be speaking about origins and creation, and we can believe in God, and how could we believe in God? And last week we talked about um, a creative process that is a traditional creation view. Today we're talking about, could I be a Bible-believing follower of God and believe in an evolutionary process of creation? So he's digging into some of these topics that we just were asking all the time, that our children are learning about in school. We're actually going to ask the questions that most of us tend to think, oh my gosh, is that safe? It is, because we know the essential of our faith is Jesus Christ. So would you join me in welcoming up our student pastor, Jake. Awesome. Hey, hello. I don't think uh, Kevin mentioned it. In case you're wondering, I don't think I'm better than like everybody else and not teaching down here. We actually have a light out, so I have to teach up here. So I'm not like elevating myself or anything. I'm just, I'm just going to teach yeah, I'm just going to come back and be in the light. So anyways, welcome to uh, this morning. My name's Jake. I am the student pastor here. If you didn't know that, uh, it's good to meet you. And we are, like Kevin said, going into uh, week two of Faith and Science. And if you weren't here last week, uh, it's okay. We're going to catch you up to speed in just a minute. But our big idea is that, uh, that faith and science, in fact, are not at odds. Uh, in fact, they can work together and do work together. And uh, with that being said, before I give you just a couple of points from last week, you can also actually go online and, uh, and check our podcast, which is on our website. It's also on uh, Apple's podcast space, and you can uh, listen or watch uh, listen or watch last week's series and, and get caught up. But here's what you need 
to know before we uh, dig into more butts, I guess. I, apparently that's a thing here. So uh, Ephesians 4 is uh, where we're going to start. Ephesians 4, verse 15. I don't think it's on your notes. In fact, I know it's not on your notes because I'm looking at it, but we have it on the screens for you. Uh, and it says this. Instead, okay, so it's talking about, hey, if life is crazy and people are tricking you to believe something you shouldn't believe, do this. Instead, we will speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love, right? And so we look at this, and our big idea is we are, we are called to speak the truth in love, and the only way that we can do that is if we know the truth, right? So we're going to actually investigate truth. We're going to ask some questions. We're going to see if we can maybe find some truth, and then we will be able to speak the truth in love, right? And so uh, with that, we want to share a couple things that we did last week. First is we want to remind you, uh, why are we doing this? Number one, we want to be able to speak the truth in love. Number two, uh, David Kinneman and Barna Research remind, lets us know that, uh, that, that young people, millennials and under, are leaving the church uh, faster than any generation ever. And they wanted to know, well, why? And they came up with six reasons in their research. And reason number one was antagonism towards science, right? Because I think that the church says, hey, we've got all the answers, or that, that, we, that there's just a, a huge debate between creation and, and evolution, and we're, we're turned off by that. And so what we decided was, here at New Life, uh, let's dig into that, right? Because if young people who we care about and love are leaving the church, then we owe it to them to do something about it right? That means that we've got to do some investigating and some truth-telling and some loving and some researching, even if it's over our heads, for their behalf, right? Because I believe that loving somebody is doing the highest good for the other person, even if it costs me something. And in this case, it costs me research and time and, and effort, and it's going to do that this morning. It's going to cost us a Sunday to go, you know what? We love young people, and we care about them, and we care about why they're leaving the church. And if we can just turn the switch to off on one of those reasons, let's do it, right? So thanks for being here. Uh, thanks for being willing to do uh, just that. Uh, and, and this morning, we get to do the big scary one in the church. If you've been in the church for a while, talking about evolution is like really, really scary, right? And so we're going to do that because, uh, I, I don't know, because we want to, right? No, because, because the reason we listen, because we care about young people, and this is something that they believe and research and know, right? And so uh, what I want to do is I want to put some things at rest, and then I want to move on. Uh, but first, there are uh, all kinds of levels of evolution, okay? Uh, and I don't mean like how it's believed. I mean, there are different kinds. There's the, the, the one that you probably hear about most and is typically taught in schools is, is atheistic evolution, right? There's, there is no room for uh, God in that viewpoint. Uh, and if you, if you watched one of the resources I sent out last week called Expelled, No Intelligence Allowed, it was a documentary, and they actually talked about this exact idea, that science is at war with faith, and they openly admit that. 
multiple top scientists and scholars from around the world have openly admitted that they're at war with faith, and they, they would like to get to the church. They'd like to put the church where they believe it belongs, something you do on the weekends, something that you build community in, but doesn't actually affect the way you live, right? And so we, we know that inside of atheistic evolution, there is no room for the church, right? There's no room for God. Uh, the other option is God-initiated evolution, right? And there are some inside the church that believe this, uh, but I want to say I do not believe that Christianity has room inside of a God-initiated evolution because why would Jesus have ever come, right? If God set up the patterns of the universe, he set up the patterns of the world, hit play, and then just let everything play out like it has and has been like, wow, I didn't see that coming, that doesn't seem like the God of the Bible, right? He seems intimately connected to you and I. He seems to care about you and I. So for that reason, I don't think God initiated is something we need to spend time on. But what I believe we need to spend time on is God-guided evolution. That is the idea that God chose to use evolution as his way to get to you and I, right? As his way to set the world up to the way that it is right now. Uh, some of what I'm going to share today, I didn't say or tell her at all, so she, I don't think she's here, but if she comes to second service, I'll probably embarrass her, uh, is, is some of what I'm going to share today comes from uh, a lady in our church, uh, Beth Gooch, Miss Gooch to many students because she is a science teacher at, uh, at Lawrence Jones in Runner Park. But she actually, her and I were talking and she told me, she goes, hey, I like evolution. I teach it, of course. Uh, and she goes, I believe it's so amazing. It's, it's a beautiful display of how God has worked throughout history, right, to get to us. She, was, she shared this idea with me, and that's when, for the first time, I really went, okay, I had heard about evolution in the church working, but I had never heard it with emotion like that. And I said, why don't I maybe consider that? Why don't I do some more research? Why don't I ask some more questions and see where God takes this thing, right? And so that's what we're going to do this morning. And if for some reason you're afraid, you're like, well, I, I'm so worried about talking about evolution because what I've always believed about God or the Bible doesn't line up with that, right? If evolution intimidates your God, your God is too small. I'm going to say that one more time. If evolution and fossils and dinosaurs and Lucy and all of the other evidence that is used inside of evolution is intimidating to your God, your view of God is far too small. And for some of you, that's what you needed to hear today. You needed to hear that you have permission to enlarge your view of who God is. And you do have that permission. Maybe that's all you needed this morning, and you're not even ready for it. You just want to think about that and ponder that, and that's okay. Because my big goal is to introduce you, get you one step closer to a God who loves you, right? So this morning, if your view of God is intimidated by what we talk about it's time to enlarge your view of God. And so here we go. I want to do this, and I want to talk about, uh, about this because, because Psalms 33.6, we actually got this on the board uh, before I move on, is I just wanted to share this one. It says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Uh, and I love that verse because we have a God who's big. We have a God who breathes stars, right? That's the picture that the psalmist have of it. And I don't know if you've ever studied stars. One of the documentaries I sent out this week had a study of stars. Our sun is very, very small. It is, in comparison to what is out there, it is nothing, right? And, and we've got a God who breathed out all of the stars. And I think, okay, we've got a God who's big enough and not intimidated by evolution's claims or by dinosaurs and fossils and Lucy and transitional fossils and everything else that's out there. God's not intimidated by that. 
So here's what I want to do now. We're actually going to get into your notes. I want to talk about what evolution is and is not, okay? Number one, let's talk about what it is not, okay? Evolution, uh, it, it is not just a theory, okay? So some people are like, well, evolution is just a theory, right? It's, it's a good guess that science has. Uh, and I think that comes apart. Oh, actually, I'll, I'll share this first. Uh, theories are widely supported with scientific evidence and inside the scientific community are regarded as fact. And so I think what happens is we use the term theory in our everyday talk like science uses the term hypothesis, right? We've got something where, like, well, I have a theory that if we do this, this will happen. That's not actually a theory. That's a hypothesis, right? We go, I think if I do this, this is going to be the outcome. And so a hypothesis is an educated guess based on uh, background research with very little, uh, with very little uh, studies and tests, evidences, those kind of things, right? A theory is not that. A theory actually is backed by science. It has actual, reputable science behind it. Um, and uh, it is, it is uh, regarded as fact and treated as the backbone of science. And one thing that I think is another common misconception is that theories, right, you go from a hypothesis, then you test it, then you get a theory, and then eventually it graduates, uh, you know, law school and turns into a law. Uh, that's not true. Uh, Theories stay theories, and laws stay laws. They're not one and the same, right? Gravity is a law, okay? Evolution is a theory. Now, if you're like, well, I still don't know if I agree with it, here's something else that they might share with you. There are a couple of really common popular theories out there. Uh, We all know uh, that we're made up of billions of cells, right? Cells that make up our body, all different kinds of cells. And then there's other cells out there making up other things, right? And we know that. And uh, the cell theory is a thing. That's what the fact that we're made up of cells is called the cell theory, right? We would never argue against that. Or, or maybe uh, the germ theory, right? That's different viruses, bacteria, and stuff that make you and I sick. That's called the germ theory, right? We know that we get sick. We know what causes us to get sick. And we wouldn't be like, well, that's just a theory, right? We would know that that is fact. Um, and, and then the other one, what about this one? This one kind of blew my mind. What about genetics, right? When you have a baby, if it comes out not looking like you, you have a lot of questions, right? right? And, uh, and that's because we know how genetics work, right? We know your baby should look a little bit like you. And, uh, and uh, so we know that that's how it works. That is also the theory of genetics, right? That's the genetic theory. So that's how that works. Those are all really popular theories that we would accept. And then all of a sudden we turn to, to, to evolution. We go, well, I actually don't know about that theory, though. Um, and, and so, again, it's like, well, if you're going to claim one, we probably should be able to claim the others, right? Uh, the other one that's really common, and maybe you've heard this in the church, and I've heard well-meaning pastors say this myself, but they've said something like this. If... We, you and I, evolved from monkeys. Why are there still monkeys, right? Well, evolution doesn't teach that that. So, so the, the evolution is not monkeys turning into humans. Uh, monkeys and humans share a common ancestor inside of evolution. So we've got like a great, 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 hundred great grandpa somewhere back on the line, you know, that is our common ancestor. That's not actually how they would ever teach it, but that's a really basic way to look at it. In general, we're like cousins Okay, but like the weird cousin, okay? So that's, that's how that works. Very, very, very basic. Very basic. But I actually got a couple of photos from, for you. Number one is this one. You probably see this uh, all the time. Yeah, you probably see this all the time, that we go like monkey to an ape to a man to Darth Vader. And, 
and when you type evolution into Google, something like this will show up. And that, oh, hang on, go back one. Uh, this, is, this is what is given uh, to evolution, right? You type in it in, you go, okay, well, this is actually showing progression. This isn't actually showing evolution. Uh, the next one actually is a super, super basic version of what evolution is. So you see all the way down on the bottom, there's a little dot. That's where life began. And then as changes were made in, its, in, in a population, right, inside of a population, uh, a new species would show up or a new population would show up. And then things branch off and uh, to, we see all the way at the top on the left-hand side is, is, of course, apes and man because we've split off at some point to a common ancestor. And this next photo is a little bit more accurate. So that is a little bit more like all life that has ever existed on earth fits inside of that evolutionary tree. And you'll see in the middle is where life began. Now that's from the University of Texas, that is, uh, which is awesome. I grew up a big Longhorns fan, so I'm a fan of this. Sorry, Marty. And, uh, and so, there's, uh, so anyways, we look at this and we've got a huge thing. And you can actually see, if you see the top what is that? The top of the left hand, there's a really tiny little line and super small font. It says, you are here, okay? So that's you and I. Uh, we're not going to dig into that, but that's actually what it looks like. There's all these different branches and changes inside of a species that created new populations, new species that are different. And so they branch off, and eventually, usually, the, the uh, first species dies off because a more successful, right, the, the uh, Darwin's theory, uh, or sorry, Darwin's, um, it's gone. Thank you. His natural selection and survival of the fittest uh, shows up here, right? Survival of the fittest is what keeps moving on, and, and the other species don't. Um, here's the next one. The next point is only uh, evolution is not only explained by incomplete fossil records. You've probably heard that the fossil record is incomplete, right? Inside of that giant tree stump that we just showed, we don't have fossils for every single species that was represented there, right? We've got some, some, uh, some artistic play in there. The, uh, scientists might have a little bit of artistic play in there going, this is what we think might have showed up. This is what we think would have been there. We found one or two bones here. We've seen some of this. Uh, and that might be, that, that is true. The, the fossil record is incomplete, but evolution is complex, like we talked about, and backed with other countless observations and experiments. So it's not just fossils that are proving evolution. It's actually uh, a number of other things. I can share a few with you. Uh, this next picture is actually one of them. Uh, this, is, this is, right, Homo. This is the same homologous, which is, hey, inside of a species, we see similar things, right? Similar bones, similar organs. And so you see a human and a cat and a whale and a bat. And they go, hey, we've got all these similar bones inside of there. Uh, wouldn't that maybe point to the fact that at some point we had a common ancestor with them or that we also have a common, uh, a common maker, right? A common guy doing the whole thing. So that's why we go, we've got one artist and he's using some of the same things across the board. And somewhere down the line, mammals, of course, uh, share a common ancestor. So we see that inside of their bone structure. Super, this is, this is a very basic, again, I should have said this at the beginning, um, there are people that have devoted their life to this, okay? And so in 15 minutes, we're not going to get, uh, like, you're not going to be like, now I understand evolution. Uh, that's just, I, I'm not that smart. Um, and so we're just, it's just not what's going to happen, unfortunately. So I'm going to, again, show you a couple things that are actually really basic forms. Like, this is a super basic version 
of this idea. They, have, they go so much more complex, and you can dig into it. But we've got people in our church that have masters in biology and have spent uh, years and years and years researching this. Uh, I, have a, I have a bachelor's of science uh, in religion. So um, that, doesn't, uh, that doesn't do us very much good, right? Um, and, and so... We've got uh, this next slide here I'll show you is another picture. This is embryology, and so we've got a shark and a lizard and a chicken and a pig and a human, and we look at it and we go, okay, at some point really early in the stages of, uh, uh, of, a, of, a, of an animal, of a creature, of a person, there is a similar embryo, right? Because again, early on we must have had a, a similar ancestor uh, is the thought, right? Or, uh, so we had a common ancestor, or again, the same guy created it, right? And so this is, this is something that they point to on top of fossils. They would point to this. They also would point to uh, other ideas like uh, ice core evidence, DNA, bacteria, uh, to argue their point. They could continue going so much beyond just fossils, uh, and so that's why I say there are branches of biology that just study small portions of this. There are people that have doctorates in just small portions of evidence for evolution. So it's not just fossils. It's so much more than that, right? And so when we look at this, especially these last two, it's really easy to freak out and go, wait a minute. The Bible says God created us in his image, Right? And so you might read in Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. You're like, oh no, right? But the good news is, this is not speaking of our physical attributes. I don't imagine we're going to get to heaven and walk up and be like, oh, look at that. There's God. I always thought I knew what a 10 looked like, but that's a 10. Uh, we're not going to get that once we get to heaven, we, right? We, I, Sometimes you say stupid things. Uh, so there we go. Uh, that's what I just did. So you look at this. This is, yeah, thank you, Kevin, yeah. Uh, this is talking more about uh, emotions and the, the inside of who we are, the spirit of who we are, rather than the physical attributes of who we are, right? And so with that, we want to say real quick what evolution is. And again, we know a little bit from what we just talked about, but this is the big one. Evolution is an explanation of how and why all life changes over time. And by over time, I don't mean like over a couple of weeks. I mean over billions of years. Okay, that's the argument here is how and why the, all life changes over time. And uh, the big question here is... Uh, from last week. We talked about how Scripture is written by God and nature is written by God, right? God did both of those two things. And then we study those things as humans, and we have theology and science. And then there's all of a sudden this conflict between theology and science. And what I, what I proposed last week was that that conflict is not inherent in Scripture and nature. There is no conflict there. There's only conflict inside of, of uh, theology and science. And so we have this question from last week, is evolution in conflict with Scripture, or does our theology just need time to catch up? Right? So the study of evolution, should the Bible be worried about it, or are we just interpreting things wrong? Right? That's the big question. And I think it's okay to ask this question. 
On top of that, what I'm going to share with you in a minute, uh, we're actually going to do some theology, which I was telling Kevin and a couple others this week. I love theology. I have a bachelor's of science in religion. Uh, so I love theology and studying the Bible. Uh, I enjoy science, okay? So this next part, I get to totally nerd out on, and I love that. Uh, but what's great about it is it doesn't only apply to theology. It's not like, well, I'm going to listen to this and think about, the, uh, think about sorry, it doesn't only apply to evolution, I should say. Uh, I'm going to listen to this in light of evolution, and then I'm going to let it go. It actually could apply across the board, because I actually don't think it would hurt any other view of origins either. So here's what I want to share, is we're going to go back to Genesis, right? We want to look at uh, evolution and scripture, or just scripture in general. And what we want to look at is Genesis is written to an ancient culture in terms they understood. Before we even open Genesis, we have to understand that. Right, Genesis was written something like 4,000 years ago. Okay, uh, now my grandmother, uh, is a, my great-grandma, sorry, is 101. Uh, and she voted uh, in the election. And she was on the news because she's a centennial that went out and voted. Right, She's 101 and went out and voted. Super cool. And she is uh, kind of the energizer bunny, just like she is in the news thing. She's like, well, there she is. And she goes, all right, that's done. And she grabs her walker and just takes on off. And, and, uh, and she talks about the fact that she was just blown away because at 101, she was alive five years before women were ever able to vote, right? And in this election, she could have voted for a woman. So that's mind-blowing, right? And that's only in 101 years. Could you imagine how far we've come in 4,000-plus years, right? We've come a long, long way, okay? So when in her time, women went from housewives only to being able to be working professionals and possibly the president of the United States, okay? So she's seen a lot in her time, and that's just in one country in 100 years, Could you imagine in the world in 4,000 years, okay? So we've got a lot. We've got to go, man, this is written to an ancient culture in terms they understood, and there's no way you and I can read Genesis without bias. We will always have a bias when we look into Genesis, whether it be our scientific understanding, because we know that the earth goes around the sun, right? They didn't know that, okay? There are things that we know that they they would have never imagined. When we read Genesis 1, in a moment later on, I'll share this, right? They said, let one light, the greater light be day and the lesser light be night. They believed that the moon gave off light. What we know is that the moon reflects the light from the sun, right? We know these things in science and we take those kind of things for granted. We know that the earth, we call it the blue planet because we know that it's blue. They would have never have thought that before they had taken a picture from space, right? And so these guys here, Man, it's written to an ancient culture that just would not have the capacity that we currently have because of the world we live in. And so looking at that, uh, we can't really say, actually, I should mention this too, uh, God in the Bible never gave uh, a scientific explanation or any sort of explanation that was beyond the understanding of the current culture, right? So even, even in Jesus' time, and Kevin talked about this at Easter, Right? It was mind-blowing that the first people to see Jesus alive after he rose from death were women because that was, that was even a bit of a stretch. Right? And we see there, okay, that's a bit of a stretch. He didn't, it's not like he chose 12 female apostles because that, that would not have been okay in their day. Right? So God chose to act in ways that were in line with and understood by their times. And he did the same in Genesis. So Genesis 1, I want to go to the next one, is explaining God's role in the world, okay? 
It's not, it's not talking about, uh, it's not talking about anything beyond God's role in the world, and then ultimately it shifts into our role in the world, okay? And so the, the first uh, thing that we want to look at is that ancient Jews, and if you were at GLS, you would, you, you would, you'll see this high context, low context will pay off, uh, but I'm going to explain it here in a moment. Uh, ancient Jews were a really high context culture. So when they wrote and communicated, things were just taken for granted, right? The, the fact that people believed in God and that believed that God was responsible for the material of the world, that was just an assumed. They were a high context. They went, yep, that's assumed. We know that we all agree on that coming in. In the United States, we want to go, hang on, before we start this report, can we actually talk about the things that are agreed upon, right? I've been in discussions, I'm sure you have, where they're like, well, before we talk about this, we need to define this term. Right? At this time, they would never need to define a term before they discussed, a to- uh, discussed maybe a question that had that term in it. Right? And so they already believed that, Jesus, or that, that God was responsible. And in our low context, extremely low context, in fact, the lowest context culture of any culture that has ever been is the United States, where we have to have everything explained, right? You, like, say something, then you recap it at the end of a meeting, and then you send an email recapping the recap, right? And that's, we don't, the Bible doesn't communicate like that. The Bible's not like, this is how God did it. Now, let's just be clear, this is how God did it. And then, by the way, I'm going to send another book later on, and it's going to tell you how God did it. God doesn't communicate like that. The Jews didn't communicate like that. Uh, and then the other thing I want to point out is enlightenment, the enlightenment age, 1600s, uh, 1700s, depending on uh, what historian you, you follow. The enlightenment period, we see a shift in culture. Culture begins to care about the material more than the why, right? So they begin to care about, they begin to care about the, the uh, how more than the why. And Genesis is extremely concerned with the why, right? Genesis 1 is more concerned about function than material. And, uh, and so its, its whole thing is written in functional terms, not written in material terms. And we're going to talk about that the rest of the morning and, uh, and, and look at what that might mean. So let me give you a few reasons why I could say that. Genesis 1.1 says, uh, says this, and I believe this is, on your pay, or this, uh, this is on the screens, and I think on your page, it is on your page. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? That's Genesis 1.1. We look at that, and the big question here, and we asked this question last week too. Remember last week we said, well, they interpret the word day, creationist, as a 24-hour period, and we know that that's right. But if you're going to take day literally, you have to take the other words literally, right? So we look at this one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, let's look at what, cre- number one, God is doing the creating. Let's look at what creation means. And create is bara. That's, a, that's the ancient Hebrew Word and it's it's to be created in functional terms, not material terms, right? So in the beginning, God gave function to uh, create is still an accurate word. I don't think I don't think uh, Bible translators for generations have messed this verse up. Create is still accurate because giving function to is still creating something, right? Uh, but create is functional rather than material. So we're not like God created leaves and, the, you know, and animals and he created exactly how they're laid out. Rather, this is a story of giving function to. Uh, on top of that, this word bara is never, ever used outside of the context of God, right? So only God can do that. Only God can give function to. Uh, which I think actually totally changes the way that we can interact with God, right? Because God is ultimately our function giver, which is very cool. Uh, 
these objects uh, throughout Scripture, we see this word bara all over the place. Uh, it's something like 50 times in the Old Testament. Uh, it's really ambiguous. It's never like this exact item. It's a thing that God created. It's more, it's more of like uh, an idea or a persona or a thing function, right? Function. Um, and so the other thing is they had, uh, ancient Hebrew had another word, asa, which was make. That was actually to make, not, not, uh, not to give function to. And uh, the other thing I wanted to point out here that's not all that important, but is kind of, uh, in the beginning is some people think, okay, this is how everything started. This is God's start. And actually, and we see the same beginning idea all over in the Old Testament. This is starting a time period. So, so sometimes you think, in the beginning, this is what God's done. This is actually opening up a time period for us. So in the beginning, right, this would accurately be an idea that, that at the start of our story today, right, at the start of our story today, God gave function to. That's kind of an accurate idea of Genesis 1-1. So in our story today, God gave function to the heavens and the earth, right? Uh, then we look at Genesis 1-2, uh, which says, the earth was formless and empty. And last week we talked about this going, wait, what does that mean? Is there just a black ball spinning through space and we're trying to make that into something? And that's not the case. Uh, this is, again, uh, empty. Sometimes we read that formless and empty. We think, man, there's, there's no material there. Again, if we pull back and go, no, we're looking at the why, not the, not the how or what. We're looking at the why. Uh, if we pull back, we see this and we go, man, this is actually uh, words that mean unproductive. Right? It's, it's more of unproductive. So you've got these two ancient Hebrew words. I have no idea how to say tahu and bahu. I don't know, maybe. Uh, is unproductive, right? And so we look at those, and generally that means the earth just had no function. It was here without function. And in ancient cultures, it was not common to apply function to material. It was common to apply function to uh, purpose, right? Uh, from purpose. So God gives purpose to in Genesis 1, not material to. So it makes way more sense if we, it can make way more sense, and actually I think Genesis 1 and 2 and the rest of the narrative make more sense if we look at it this way, right? So the idea is at the start of our story, God gave the heavens and the earth functions, right? Because they had none. That's kind of how Genesis 1 starts. Uh, and then we look at this. Let me read the next part of Genesis, and we read this last week, Genesis 1, 3 through 5. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the first day. Day one, two, and three, God is only establishing functions, right? We never see God establishing... Sorry, that's day three through six. I, I didn't put this in your notes. This is actually my fault. Uh, you, can, you can add a, a day one through three up there, if you're, uh, day one through three if you'd like up there. Uh, not up there, but on your notes that say, are only installing functions. Because light was never seen as material in the ancient world. It was seen as, it was seen as, a, as a function, right? And so we've got this as function. Then we've got an expanse between the heavens and the earth, right, to separate waters from waters. So now waters are divided, and we've got this sky, and weather patterns are set up. Again, that's a functional thing, because we know the sky isn't material, right? It's not like it's, there's something there besides like air. There's not like big material that God's talking about. He's talking about function. And again, then he talks about the waters gathering to one place and the dry ground showing up. And again, that's, that's function because then he goes, and once the dry ground shows up, it will sprout vegetation. Because it's not talking about how something got there. It talks about why something got there, 
And then we get to day three through six, which is where we're going to establish functionaries, right? So let me read Genesis 1, 14 through 19 for you. And I don't think this is on the board, uh, but it says this. God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on earth, and that is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day, the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set these lights in the sky. Uh, sorry, God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God said that it was good, and evening passed, and morning came, marking the fourth day. Right? If you read that there, if you read in Genesis 1, and once we get to day 4 and on, we start seeing God installing functionaries, things that are doing what God previously designated. Right? So it's not saying that God created stars because it, it says let them appear and then let them do these things because God's concerned about what they're doing, not what they are. Right? And so we see that through the rest of this because he goes, let the, let the animals come creeping forward from the earth. Right? That's not because that's how, that's how animals come. They come out of the ground. That's, we know that. But it's more like, hey, a five-year-old going, hey, mom, where did this baby kid come from? And you're like, well, when a man loves a woman. Right? You don't go into that with babies. You go, hey, well, we went to the hospital, and it's in mommy's tummy. Right? That's, we talk about very, very basic stuff. That's what this is. It's super basic, going, well, the animals came forward from the earth, and uh, these things came forward from the sea, and birds are in the sky, and that's where they are, and they fill that space. And then they, then they reproduce and fill that space. Their sole purpose is to reproduce and fill that space, which is a very easy purpose for them. So they get that purpose. Then they talk about people, and they go, now let's create you and I, and this is where the whole narrative changes. It goes to, again, our job is to fill the space, but on top of that, all of creation we read is designed for, is functioning for our benefit, right? We're told to run creation. We're told to, to lord over creation. We're in charge of it. We're in charge of taking care of it. And when we look at that, what the Bible talks about is this idea that the function of creation, the animals, the plants, the water, everything, the light, everything in creation is functioning on our behalf and God is giving it to us. That's an amazing thing, right? And so when we look at this, then it goes into all sorts of other things. It talks about rest, which uh, we can't get much into, and I'm going to send more resources. So if you want to see rest and what about day two and everything else, email me. Uh, sorry, mark on your Connect card. Uh, not email me. Mark on your Connect card that because that's, uh, that's what we're going to get to uh, in a moment because there's more resources. What about rest? And is this a temple text? And there's all sorts of crazy ideas around theology for this uh, that help make all of Scripture make more sense. But here's what I want to do. I want to wrap up because we're running out of time. Uh, but evolution's outstanding questions are the first thing. Number one, here's a couple of questions. How can you explain Adam, Eve, and the fall of man, right? If there, that means there's death before man, right? There's death before sin. There's all of these previous species that must have existed if evolution is true. How do you explain Adam and Eve and the fall of man? That's a big question that still outstands. Um, and then there's another one. Uh, if we look at the idea of, of macroevolution, right, a population adapting and changing and turning into a new population, macroevolution. If we look at that, why has it seemingly stopped since humans came into the picture, right? Why has macroevolution stopped? Why at one point was it going on and now we don't witness it anymore, okay? Uh, and here's what I want to say to wrap things up. The universe, according to science and, and evolution, is uh, 14 billion years old, right? 
The universe is 14 billion years old. The earth is something like 4.6 billion years old. And the common ancestor that began all life is believed to be about 3.8 billion. It happened about 3.8 billion years ago, right? So we've got, we're talking billions and billions of years. On top of that, uh, for evolution to, to happen, for life to start from nothing, scientists have, have said it's a, for, for the most simple life, it is one in one trillion, 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 trillion chance. Now, I'm not saying six trillion. I'm saying a one followed by 72 zeros, okay? So we're talking a big number. And so we look at that, and for evolution to work, that's just for life to start, right? Over the course of 14 billion years, a one in one trillion, 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 trillion chance for life to start. And that's mind-blowing to me. But could you imagine if that's what God chose to use, that means against all odds over the course of 14 billion years, God has been working to get to you today. And that is mind-blowing to me. That is mind-blowing to me to think about a God who goes, for the last 14 billion years, I've seen you, and I've been working to get to you right now, right? And so when we look at that, we see things like at the end of Genesis, we get called very good, or the verse we shared last week, Ephesians 2.10, that you are God's masterpiece. Not only are you God's masterpiece, but you are God's 14-billion-year-old masterpiece, right? Now that is a masterpiece. And so what I want to say is if you've if you've been wrestling with God and science, I don't think we need to do that anymore. I think it's okay to go, you know what, maybe this is what God did use. Maybe he's been working to get to me for that long. And, and if you're ready today to go, you know what, I, I want to make God the boss of my life because I think he has been for 14 billion years, let's do that today. So I'm going to pray for all of us in a moment, but I want to give you a couple more action points. Uh, number one, uh, we just talked about it. Today's the day to become a Christian and go, man, God's been working for an eternity to get to me, right? Number two, uh, let's have an intentional conversation with faith and science this week. I actually uh, uh, messaged uh, the friends that I debated with. I shared this story with you last week. I messaged my friends Linnea and Tom, who I debated with in high school about this topic, and, uh, and said, hey, if you want to check in, check in. Here's where it is. Here's the live stream. Hi, if you're watching. If you're not, all right. Uh, but they are, uh, and I thought, I want to have an intentional conversation about an argument I once had, and maybe that's your turn. And number three, um, you can, you can check on the bottom of your Connect card uh, and turn it in, and you can get more resources. This week I sent out three plus a couple of websites. Uh, I've got another two or three to send out uh, this week that have, has more to do with this topic. Um, so let me pray for us, and, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, hey, God, thanks so much for this morning. God, uh, I can't picture the odds uh, of life starting. But I'm so grateful that the house always wins and that you're the house. Uh, I'm grateful that you've been working against all odds for billions of years uh, to get to us. That's mind-blowing to me. Uh, thanks for the space to talk about that. And God, uh, last week, like we said, we also talked about creation and, and creationism. And if that's where people stand uh, or if that's where, where anybody stands, God, I pray again there that against it's still against all odds. Uh, God, I pray that... Uh, that this week and last week has just brought peace to their hearts. Uh, God, as we enter into maybe conversation and more research, can you free us uh, from the weight? Can we do uh, what the church 
uh, what the church and science hasn't been able to do here in this community? Can we engage the two? And can we go, you know what? These two actually work better together than apart. And God, for my friends in the, in the room today that go, man, I've been wrestling with this for a long time, but I'm ready to make God the boss of my life because he's been fighting to get to me for 14 billion years. Uh, God, can we pray for those people? And, 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 and if you're one of them, will you just join me in prayer in your heart or in your head or out loud or however you want to do it? Uh, but say this, God, I uh, love you. I'm blown away by you uh, against all odds. Uh, against all time, you have fought to get to me, and I now see that. Uh, God, forgive me for running from you forever, uh, but today I want to say I'm done running, and I'm ready to come to you and make you uh, the boss of my life. I love you, Lord, and may I walk with you this day uh, forward into eternity. It's your son's name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.